Hello, this is Cassandra from the most popular girls on the internet. You're listening to Big Red Potion on Five Gamers and The Mind. Gamer Node and the Unified Gamers Network, you are listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that regenerates by reattaching its dismembered words. I am your unflappable, unstoppable, and implausible host, Sinanakaba, and I am joined by the man who puts the space into Dead Space 2, but not the space in between Dead and Space, all the space, but the space in between Space and 2, which has got to be the most in-jokey uh, intro I'm like only people who've listened to the show since the start of of are going to get it anyway. It is Joe Delia, and he is here. Hello, Joe. Are you saying that I'm fat? Because if you're saying that I'm fat, I don't appreciate that too much. Uh, I'm not saying it so much as directly implying it. That's fair. I can accept that. Okay. How are you anyway? I'm wonderful, sir. I'm very, very good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I am all coffeeed up and ready to do this thing. Right. I mean that. As the listeners, I'm sure, are used to by now, it's, what, about midnight over there, Sanan? <laughs> We're having... It's not as ridiculous as we've had in the past, so it's an 11 o'clock show over here, and a 6 o'clock one for you, but, but we're glad because you're not in the car for, like, the first show in yeah, a Yeah, it breaks my uh, six-month streak of car casting at every single time. This is great. I feel so <laughs> warm and comfortable. I'm on a couch. It's, like, it's fantastic. The thing is, you're going to have to live up to all the car casting, because I think your best performances have come through the car casting. <laughs> Well, I'm going to get a fan and have it blow directly into the mic so my audio quality is about on par with the way it's been the last couple of times. But other than that, I, I plan on having a good show. I have to live up to the two fellas that are currently sitting there at 11.30 at night, so here goes. And talking of the other fellas sitting here at 11.30 at night, I'm joined by the ninja red pigeon, that is, our friend Zantiriad. Hello, sir. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Good afternoon, whatever we want. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good, good night. Um, how the hell are you, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, actually. I mean, it's, uh, it is a bit uh, past my bedtime, but I'll survive. Working from home tomorrow, so no problem. Well, we appreciate you joining us uh, later tonight, and um, we should probably on that note get straight into it. So this is a cop mode. We haven't done... Actually, I think we, we did do one of these not so long ago, but in case you are coming to the shoe... To the shoe? To the shoe. I like fresh, the shoe the shoe <laughs> it's like an upmarket version of the show the shoe um if you're coming to the show afresh in 2011 um our cut modes just basically well they become what we've been playing shows really because we don't really get to talk about that on the main show so um we've e- we've each well we usually have a game each but zan's not really got a game so much as a console which is kind of greedy he's way better than us yeah exactly joe joe's got a game i've got a game and uh, how about I get started then? I'll, I'll lead us in. So I've been playing Dead Space 2. Woo! I'm going to get this out from the beginning. Because, um, you know, I, I was definitely anticipating this game I thought the, the first Dead Space was was a very good strong all-round game in that okay maybe it did rely on the same old 
I didn't. I feel like the Doom Closet thing was overdone, but it, I, I do get what people were saying by that. Um, it did kind of use, reuse rooms too much and reuse the same scare tactics too much. But otherwise, I thought it was you know brilliant to look at. Uh, really amazing sound quality in terms of how it, it, creating an atmosphere, uh, a real horror uh, atmosphere, and um, the dismemberment play was very unique. And you know, that's I thought it was an excellent game. I, I don't know what did what did you guys think? I was just gonna say it's also one of the few new horror franchises we've got that have lasted more than a single game. Which yeah, I mean, Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Fatal Frame. Can you name any others? Good point. And then. Um, Great game. Uh, both Dead Space and Dead Space Extraction, I think, have been really fantastic. I mean, I've been a horror fan for a long time, but I think that the way those kind of took what Resident Evil 4 did and took what Silent Hill did in, in some ways and, and kind of changed them up and made something entirely new and different is good. And I also like the strategy that EA's employed of kind of, you know, branching out into there's there's two animated movies. There's the Wii game, which is a totally different beast than the original Dead Space. They're, they're trying to create a universe, which... You don't see too often now, um, with, not with many, you know, super, even Assassin's Creed to some extent hasn't really had as much stuff as Dead Space has had in a small amount of time that it's had. Um, and I appreciate that. And I think that they've done a great job of setting up a universe to the point where Dead Space 2, I think, has a lot of momentum going into it, uh, unlike the first two games. I'll just button quickly before we go to Sam, because I know he probably wants to mention Extraction. But, um, I... I you know, that's interesting because I just wrote recently something about the whole strategy EA had with Dead Space because it was the first game in their IP cubed mm-hmm. uh, strategy. I don't know how much you guys know about that, but basically the whole idea was um, to really instantly create a franchise, to, to hit, uh, to make a, a games property into like a whole media property from the off. So they had, like you said, the movie come on straight out and uh, the comics uh, came, you know, at the mm-hmm time the game was released and they had extraction and they had more comics and they had the novel last summer and then now again they've had the second movie uh the games come out on the iphone and the ipad Mm -hmm. extractions on the on the ps3 disc so they've got this whole big universe like you say they're trying to make this franchise and um you know it was a bit it was kind of a risky strategy which i don't think it's entirely worked for some of the other games that it's been used in mirror's edge is a really strong example but this time dead space 2 it's already sold what two million in its first week so Mm -hmm you know, that suggests that EA got this one right. I mean, with the, just going off topic slightly, with Mirror's Edge though, they've done very well on the iOS platforms with those two games. Yeah. Um, so uh, there know, is, it does have a bit of momentum now, so I think if they if they were prepared to take that risk again, I think there's there's enough goodwill and enough um, market backing now that they've, they've spread it a bit more. I don't really get what they're doing with Mirror's Edge because it felt like, you know, they said last summer, oh yeah, no, we're definitely going to do a sequel and that was then dismissed as a, you know, that mm. comment doesn't really mean anything. Um, and then they've done, like you said, these two, the two iOS releases and like you said, they've done very, very well and that just confuses me to, you know, you know, can they really release Mirror's Edge 2 now? Is it not too, too late for it to work? It feels like, you know, four years, five years, is that, I don't know, I, I just wonder... Well, Dice have got have had two big releases, haven't they? In between, they've got a massive one this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something after Battlefield Three, because I'd imagine that that has has been in the works for a good two years. Because it's got a new, they've been working on a new engine, haven't they? The Frostbite Two engine. So um, that's a good point. Yeah, so that that might be a, a reason. I I I think they will take another punt on it. So they'll look at how well Dead Space has done, and that did similar numbers the first game. Very similar numbers. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think they'll look at it and think, yeah, we'll have a, we'll have another go at this. 
I just wonder if more budget and then maybe went into into Mirror's Edge. That's the impression I got. Uh, I, it's a bit speculative to say when we don't really know, but I just got that general impression that EA were more disappointed in Mirror's Edge performance than they were in Dead Space's performance, even though they were quite similar. Um, I, I don't know. That that is extreme speculation. But uh, anyway, before we before we move on to Dead Space Two, because I know we're talking pre-show, and you were saying that Dead Space Extraction was. And I think both Joe and I would agree, you know, maybe on par with Dead Space, if not better, as a game. Yeah, I thought I, I think so. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, we were just commenting because uh, when you first play, when you put Dead Space Two in, it gives you the option of um, watching a previously on Dead Space, a kind of it's about five minute video, isn't it, something like that? And um, I just noticed when I watched it that almost half of the footage is actually from Extraction, hmm. and. Um, Really, most of the, the the because Extraction was a prequel, most of the the, the, the narrative and, and the plotting that's that's being elaborated on in, in Dead Space Two actually comes from actually comes from that. Um, and I, I, I mean, I've said before on on, on other podcasts, I actually thought, I mean, I really loved Dead Space the the first game, but I thought Extraction was ad, definitely as good, and in some ways was even more tense because I think with the the fact that you don't have full control over movement. And you're kind of directed to look in certain places, and and and, and um, you know uh, the the kind of cinematography starts to come into play a bit more. It was actually even more scary, I would say, than and more tense than than Dead Space, because often you could be looking in the complete opposite direction when something horrific happens. And uh, but in in Extraction, you're forced to watch it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I really agree with what you're saying regards to narrative, because I I think. Um it just naturally lends itself to having more narrative, you know, having an on-rails big thing, because you can, I don't know, you're almost creating a movie, in a sense, already, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not explaining that quite right, but I, it's certainly, they, they tried more the narrative in, in Extraction, and you're quite right, like, in that, in that video, uh, it was, half of it was Extraction, um, and I think that heavily influences the, the story in Dead Space, without giving too much away, there's a lot more of the um, psychosis from Extraction, in Dead Space 2 than there was in Dead Space 1, which I think is I think is an excellent thing. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The, the big statement I was leading up to in my intro of Dead Space 2 <laughs> is that I think, uh, and maybe this is one of these silly statements that people tend to make at the beginning of years, but I'm going to say it anyway, I think it is already a benchmark game in 2011. Wow. I think it's that good. Wow. I think, I think other games, you know, it's the game to top already for me. And, you know, people, we, we were kind of saying that last year about Mass Effect 2, to be honest. Uh, but it was that good, and that was, you know, January game, I think. Um, probably the exact same release date or something. Um, but, you know, I think Dead Space 2 just... It really uh, isn't that different from the first Dead Space, but what it it certainly accentuates all the things the first one did right, which was really the set pieces, which I think, you know, Dead Space had incredible set pieces being dragged through the, the innards of a spaceship and trying to desperately shoot the, you know, the gold... Uh, part of the enemy it does all that kind of stuff and takes it up a notch and really you know there's one amazing signature uh, around the middle of the game which I, I don't really want to spoil but you're basically uh, you have about two minutes of being totally helpless be, it's essentially completely on rails and uh, you are one minute standing then your next minute being dragged through a space then the next minute you're in space then the next minute you're being dragged again through a space it's, it's, it's an incredible sequence um, so they really up that side of it uh the narrative is is, is stronger. Um, like we said, I think it, it does a lot of what Extraction was doing in terms of really characterising 
the people around you and characterizing the ship and that's i think the other big thing about dead space 2 is that the the setting which i think is a uh, i'm gonna i get a little bit confused in terms of what i think you're, you're on a station on a planet to help on Saturn. Yeah, go on, please. You're, you're on what's left of Titan. So Titan's That's... moon was was planet cracked. It was the first one, and they planet cracked it until there was virtually nothing left. And then they built a huge, sprawling space station, which they nicknamed the Sprawl, um, around that. And it's now the processing center for the planet cracking operation. So bits of planets that are cracked are taken. You know, the, the minerals and stuff are taken there to be processed. You see, this is the thing that I I didn't pay any attention during the first Dead Space to all these kind of extraneous things in terms of you know, the bigger overarching plot. And I, I, to be honest, Dead Space Two, I didn't I didn't really either. I prefer the things going on between characters and uh, you know the people around you. These these the there are two or three characters running through the game who are who are really interesting. Um, but what I was going to say, what I was saying about the environment of this of this uh, space station, there's so much more detail to it. There's so much more character. There, it's not just grey room after grey room and I feel like okay that people said that maybe a bit too much about Dead Space but I don't think there's Storm without uh, Sunfire so you know there was a, a, a lot of reused assets and uh, well, just that lack of colour and clearly like Visceral heard and listened and <laughs> changed because it's Dead Space 2 is full of character. Like for, even in the first half of the game, you, you go to the Church of Unitology, um, which is the big thing from Extraction, which um, I won't spoil it, but it, it, it's it's a really excellent chapter. And then you go to a daycare centre, of all things, uh, which is it just taps into that kind of um, creepy societal afterlife that I really enjoy in games like Bioshock and, and Arkham Asylum as well did it really well, where you see the kind of... Um, leftovers of what was there before and there's noise around you and it's all very disconcerting I really like that in games and I think Dead Space 2 did a much better job of that than the first one did but yeah that I think that guess kind of really summates my thoughts of Dead Space 2 I just think it's it doesn't really change the dismemberment play um, it's still very much about you know conserving your ammo and trying to shoot for limbs and use a lot of the same monsters to be honest but I just I think in terms of creating an atmosphere and really making those special standout moments it does so much more and it's a really complete video game um i'll go to sand first because you you've played it joe's yet to unwrap the uh the cling film around his disc installing uh, Zan, now <laughs> so excited stay with us stay with us do the show i will try no um, promises so <laughs> and you're up to chapter nine uh so about two thirds of the way for the game what, what are your thoughts so far well they're pretty much the same really um i, I Again, I, I think you know. Um, a few years ago, EA used to come in for a lot of criticism for kind of cheap movie tie-ins and and, and fairly poor quality games. And they went on this. Um, they they changed the strategy, didn't they, to move towards getting crap more critically acclaimed games and then back in those. So that the and, and the theory being that the sales would then come afterwards. And I, I, to be honest with you, I think it's paying off because. The last two years, some of the best games that have come out in the in in each year, you know, the ones that have been either winning or getting close to being game of the year, have have, have been EA titles, and they they just seem to have so much polish and so much detail and so much care and attention put into them. You, um, I mean, I, I put Dead Space in knowing full well that I'm un- very unlikely to find a game breaking bug or a serious glitch or um, you know 
take note, uh, Codemasters and um, um, Bethesda. Um, you just you just you just know from the when it boots up that this is a quality product from the the menus to everything that, that you experience when you're actually playing it. And um, yeah, it's just I think yeah, it's excellent and improves on the original in many ways. The the thing I kind of miss from the original is the claustrophobia of it. I think that's kind of been lost. Um, just simply, I, I would I would disagree actually. Well, um, I mean, in terms of looking out the windows and, and being able to see the kind of vastness of the sprawl. Um, it, 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 you oh, get a different thing. You get, you actually, you get more, you get more acrophobia because particularly, again, I don't want to give too much away, but you do spend some time in space and, uh, that can be just as terrifying as being trapped inside a, a small, sh- you know, a relatively small, small space inside a ship. Um, so I'm quite pleased they've done something different. I think if they'd have just done another Des- done a dead space two and it was on a ship again, then, um, I think probably people would have said, okay, it's just the same thing again. But they have, you know, quite in some ways quite dramatically changed the setting, which um, does lend itself to then doing different things with it, with the same basic context, you know, of the the uh, the necromorphs and the limbs and the everything else that goes with it. Right. I mean, what, what I'd say regards to claustrophobia, I feel like they did um, they put in more directly claustrophobic set pieces like a lot of the lift sequences yes uh, are really tight and <laughs> I, tiny <laughs> i had something happen to me uh, literally about 20 minutes before i came to do this podcast and um i went into what you would normally consider to be a safe room one of those <laughs> rooms that you can only open in a special way and you'll find out when you play the game and normally you go in those rooms and they are perfectly safe. Oh no! <laughs> I know the exact same. And I <laughs> absolutely shit myself. <laughs> so I was just merrily away picking things up, going, "Oh, that's good. I'll pick one of that. Oh, there's one of those nice um, ruby circuit balls there. I'll pick that up." And then, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I like about the game in that it doesn't really uh, give you that much pause for breath at any point, even if it's not throwing some play at you, say you've gone for a giant set piece, you'll then get thrown one of those sinister hallucinatory visions uh, at you for a minute. And it just, it doesn't, I mean, I, I don't really get, I don't want to sound like a pompous manly git, but I don't really get scared by games like Dead Space, but I do get jumpy, if you get what I mean. Like, I just, I don't relax necessarily playing them. And I, I feel like when you, if you don't really get that moment in between sequences where you can just pause and go, <sighs> um, that really helps to, to sustain that feeling throughout the entire game, and I think Bioshock did a, a pretty good job of that. Um, Bioshock gets really, you know, people. I feel I don't know. I'm not the expert on survival horror, Joe, but I feel like Bioshock is is a really good example of a survival horror game, and people don't give oh, it to- enough credit for being a survival horror game. I totally mm. agree. Bioshock is is. Yeah, I, again, um, survival horror is actually something I've been reading about this week. Actually, is it's it's kind of a a phrase that's been banded around and people associate with Resident Evil, but the the the, the game is that the you know the the style has actually been around a lot longer than that. Um, and um, I'll give you an example: 3D Monster Maze back in the on the ZX81 back in 1982. That was a survival horror game. It was in it was a the first first person perspective game, and you wandered around corners and you saw a monster that would kill you. It was a essentially you know the blueprint for survival horror. So. Bioshock's definitely a survival horror game. I've heard, in, uh, just to play devil's advocate, I've heard a, f- a few people suggest that um, Isaac is too empowered in, in Dead Space 2. 
uh, that the weapons are too strong and it, and it gets a bit too close to being an action game. Would you would you say there's some merit in that? I think it depends on what. Um, another really good thing I think that, that they've done in Dead Space Two is to give you the choice of of how you want to play it uh, at the beginning. So, you know, normally when you have um, game difficulty, you know, picking the higher difficulty will just basically mean that um, the enemies are bullet sponges and that you take more damage. But um, what they've actually done with um, Dead Space Two, and in particular with the, the the hardcore mode that you unlock afterwards, is that they do. The thing that the main thing they change is uh, the proliferation of health packs and uh, ammo. So if you want to play it where you can effectively, I wouldn't say run and gun because you still can't do that, but where you, you don't really have to worry about um, um, you know ammo, then you can play it on the casual or normal difficulties. But then you then you have, you face the challenge of inventory management because you can't carry that much. Um, right. But uh, if you then play it on the higher level difficulties, like uh, I think it's Zealot, um, then you pretty much have to rely on using every single weapon because you will never get enough ammo for one, one, any one particular weapon. And mm. the health packs and everything else are much more sparsely um, placed. I know this because I've got the, I've got the uh, special edition of the guide. Um, uh, and then when you play it on hardcore, it actually does tell you in the game, actually, when you go over the options, it tells you, like if you choose the one above normal, it says you'll have a lot less ammo and you'll have to conserve ammo to progress. Um, so if you want to play it like a, I won't say, well, a traditional survival horror game like the original Resident Evils, then you would play it on the, the higher difficulties. But if you want to play it in a more sort of casual experience, the story and the the chaos way, then you, you play on the lower ones. And then on hardcore, they you, they only give you three saves, so they kind of introduce the <laughs> Demon Souls. Um, that's that's harsher than Demon Souls, I've got to say. That's ridiculous. Well, I would the, never be you able do to have checkpoints. You do have checkpoints. So if you die, you just go back to the previous checkpoint. But by conserving the saves, it does mean that you've got to be very careful. <laughs> so you use up too many bullets in one fight, you're not making it to the next one, pretty much. Yeah, basically, yeah. Wow. Um, before we go, I'm going to go go to you, Joe, because of something you you said just before we we, we started talking about this. Um, because our friends, our UGN friends, uh, we've got a lot of UGN friends. We, we we're friends with GamerDork, the most popular girls on the internet, GameBurst, and Ninjapap Pinterest, but we're also friends with the Digital Cowboys, and they've just done uh, and they've just done a show uh, where it was inspired by an article uh, guy Joshua Garrity, uh, Combine Hunter on Twitter, wrote, which he. Uh, it was excellent, actually. Um, if you can find it, I'm sure if you go to the digitalcowboys.com, it's linked in the latest episode. But he basically said that uh, Resident Evil is no longer the king of Zero Horror. Dead Space is the new king uh, because Resident Evil 5 was so middling. And mm. uh, You know, Joe, would, I, I know you haven't played Dead Space 2, but would you say, you know, when Dead Space 3 comes along, is it going to have more hype than Resident Evil 6, for example? I think, I mean... Even now, I think Dead Space 2 had a bit more hype than any of the recent Resident Evils have gotten, mainly because they've Capcom has kind of driven Resident Evil to the ground over the years with all their side releases and weird other things that haven't been up to the quality of the first two Dead Space games. I think that EA's played this one very, very smartly. I mean, the first one came out, it wasn't an immediate hit, and thankfully they stuck with it because now they're going to finally pay the dividends. Now they're finally going to see that people want these new experiences. Uh, one thing the first Dead Space did that I kind of liked was, you know, usually when... 
something takes place in space with monsters, it usually follows the alien route or it follows the Star Wars route. It follows a route that's very well established. And Dead Space kind of, not to say that it didn't have very many influences, but at least it felt different. It didn't feel like Resident Evil and it didn't feel like Alien. And I kind of appreciated that. And um, like Zan was saying, I think the way they distributed the ammo and stuff in the first game, it kind of made you play it a certain way, which I appreciated because most games that give you, you know, the the uh, the quick action shooting that Dead Space does kind of overgive you ammo or overgive you health to make it not that much of a risk. This game kind of gives you the risk, which which carried over to Extraction. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that Dead Space is the preeminent survival horror series of this generation. I think that there's really not even been a contest. I don't think that as much as Jeff might argue for Deadly Premonition, I don't really see any other <laughs> series even coming close, which I think is great because it's a new series. It's something fresh and original, and I think they'd be doing a great job with it, despite Dante's Inferno coming from the same team, which I will never talk about again. Another another game under the IP keeps strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. But they had, that game had awful marketing. I mean, really, I know it got noticed, but it got noticed for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And it was anyway. a terrible game to boot. Well, there you They've go. done something um, similar with Dead Space, haven't they? Because they filmed mother's reactions to seeing someone playing <laughs> it. They, which, I yeah. haven't heard... You know, I've heard about that, but I've not seen it. Could mm. you, you explain it? Um, yeah, there's, uh, I believe there's YouTube videos. Isn't it? it was like a viral marketing thing where they basically filmed... Um, I guess, yeah, middle-aged mothers uh, seeing somebody play the game and just looking at their reactions. Uh, That's, was it really offensive to anyone particularly? Not really. <laughs> it's just no, it's just slightly bad funny. taste. <laughs> right. I guess it, I guess I can see. I, I don't want to go too into it, but I can see why people would. Yeah, okay. But um, it, I don't think that's comparable <laughs> to the to the whole booth babe thing with uh, Dante's Inferno. That was that was just. <laughs> Really oh, yeah, that's poorly advised. Yeah. Um, yeah, what I'll say just quickly before we move on from Dead Space 2 and move on to Joe's uh, game. Uh, like spoilers, but there's an. In- <laughs> I think it's going to be the sequence of the year. I don't think anyone's going to top it uh, in, in Dead Space 2 where you're in a daycare centre. And uh, just as you as you go in, you hear this noise of a, of a baby sort of gooing and gaggering. And you go up to a window and you see uh, a mum uh, sort of kneeling on the ground cooing to her baby to her baby to come towards her and it's one of these mutant babies uh which has a sort of swollen uh kind of uh, jaundiced belly and it crawls over to the mum and she hugs it and it explodes and there's blood all over the window and it's just i loved it exploding mums more of that in video games i would say (laughs) um Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's just as in bad, as in bad taste as Dead Space 2 Pro. This is Alex Shaw of Digital Cowboys, and when I'm sick and tired of reading Edge magazine because of all those pages, I listen to Big Red Potion. Okay, and we are going to... Uh, New Jersey to New York to Mr. Joseph Delia to yes. talk about uh, a game from last year. Yes. We don't just talk about, about recent games. Uh, this yes. was quite, you know, I think it got quite strong reviews, but it was also quite divisive because a lot of people said it was too derivative. So, mm. uh, Mr. Joe Delia, please tell us what you think of Darksiders. See, here's the thing with Darksiders is that I have not liked a 3D Zelda game in quite some time. I think that they spend too much time 
getting you to the good points, which I know that sounds like I'm just an impatient gamer, but I don't much appreciate herding cows and collecting buckets and bringing them to people in, in, in Zelda games. And that's basically what the last couple have begun with. I think Darksiders, for some reason, you know, the developers wanted to make a Zelda game without the license, obviously. And they kind of just looked at what Zelda was and what people enjoyed of the Zelda games and kind of made a game that's all the enjoyable parts without all the other crap. And even though, I mean, don't get me wrong, it is a blatant ripoff of several other games. It is Zelda. It is, there's Portal in there. There's, um, there's every open world game you've ever played. Elements of that have made its way into Darksiders. But it's also really fun. And it's also a different kind of open world adventure game. Uh, one that you really don't see out of the side of the Zelda series. And even then, you don't really see it done in this exact way. Um, have either of you guys played it? It is sitting on my shelf mm. uh, in cling film, like your copy of Dead Space 2, yes. so I'm not yet to get to it. Yeah, likewise, I've got a copy that I've not opened yet. That's that's how it was with me for this long, and I hear a lot of people actually playing it now. I guess it, it you know, it, it got some decent hype when it came out, but I guess because it was such a long game and it came out at a bad time, a lot of people waited on it, and I'm not surprised because you know, it's I'm 15 hours in and I'm not I'm not really at the end. Just on that, on the note of its timing, that was that uh, crazy window when we yeah. had three or four games just like like it. You know, yes. hack and slash. We had Bayonetta, mm-hmm. Dante's Inferno, Darksiders. I think there's another one I'm probably forgetting, but it was it was strange. And then what? There's been nothing. I think the parable at all now. Yeah, I think it came out last February, which is literally right in the middle of all those other releases, and it was you know the less the least. Um, promoted of those games which kind of least, like, no, it was a new IP it was one of the new, well they were all new IPs yeah actually, it was all new IP but well. I mean THQ doesn't get the, the standing that right. EA or, or even Sega gets with Bayonetta but I mean I think that you know no one really expected it to be good because it, it looked like a generic action platformer before it came out and I, I didn't even notice it until it got you know pretty good reviews and talked about it in a lot of great podcasts which kind of made me add it to my my interest window but apparently i do have an interest window by the way i just discovered this so what i is, um, so what is an interest there's window? literally a window in my head that you put interest in and i every now and then i'll take something out of it but not too often because then <laughs> it would be more than interest anyway uh surreal um anyway uh yeah so i mean it's you know it it, it basically is god of war meets zelda i don't want to freaking compare it to every other game in the world, but that's kind of what it is. It, the, the gameplay is very much, you know, quick action, hack and slash. You can turn into other things. You, you can, you whip out a motorcycle. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, no, so you whip out a, uh, it's like a flaming horse thing. Um, you can pull it from the ground, basically, and ride it around the environments, which is kind of great. But that's the thing, though. It's like, it, it looked at all the stuff, like in Zelda, that it's kind of annoying, like getting from place to place, like revisiting old environments that you've been through already to get new items, like, you know, even just the dungeon design, all that stuff in Zelda has gotten tedious over time just because, you know, you have to walk everywhere, you're kind of slow, you don't really get your abilities too quickly, everything is kind of drawn out, there's all these in-between dungeon quests that aren't all that great. And Darksiders just kind of said, screw that stuff, let's make this game fun. Let's just make all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. And I'm not saying the game is perfect, but it's definitely a more concise Zelda-like adventure. And in, in 15 hours, I've gotten a, a 40-hour Zelda experience, or the best parts of it anyway. And I kind of appreciate that. And it, it works in every way that a game like this should work. L- listening to that, it's just made me sort of think about 
about Zelda and, and last year. And I don't know whether this is just because Zelda is so established a game and so much the kind of almost thematic of its genre that it's so easy to say this. But I feel like when I look back at some of the games of 2010, there's this kind of theme of Zelda in them. Like you had you had Darksiders, which everyone and his dog and the dog's dog were saying was <laughs> God of War meets Zelda. And then you yeah. had 3D dot game heroes, which, yeah. you know, that... That is Zelda. Zelda. Uh, yeah, that's that's 2D Zelda in a 3D perspective. And then you had Nier, which I feel like um, riffs on, on Zelda completely with all these references throughout. And I don't know if if that's just coincidence or it is something to what you're saying that in, in recent incarnations, Zelda, which we've talked about on the podcast before, right. has, has got a bit stagnant and people are kind of pointing it to it. And I know this is, this is something... We did have that, I think, on one show with with Michael Abbott and uh, and Brad Galloway, where they got into a kind of a Zelda debate. And mm-hmm. I, I just I, I get this feeling that Zelda gets away with not a, really genuinely evolving as much as other games, um, because of all the nostalgia and love for it. And it does these small incrementational mm-hmm. changes, which people get crazy mad about and say this has changed the landscape of zelda forever <laughs> and it's like you know what no this is not this is not what i would call a sequel to a game this is very much the same thing you know i and i feel like with phantom hourglass in particular uh, people saying it's got the touchscreen the touchscreen controls are amazing it's, but yes but otherwise it's a link to the past <laughs> you know that and i don't know is that is that just me was there something is there something going on in the industry that maybe suggest that people are looking to Zelda and saying, well, pull your socks up. Well, I mean, they've basically been remaking Ocarina of Time for the last 10 years. I mean, they, they changed the art style a couple of times and they added the ability to turn into a wolf. But other than that, it's still Ocarina of Time, which is why the next version of Zelda that's coming out is Ocarina of Time again on the 3DS. And not that there's anything wrong with that, because obviously added, in its time, Ocarina of Time was a major, major breakthrough. But it's also it's probably the most stagnant Nintendo's been with any of their franchises. And I, I think maybe because it still sells, maybe because there's such that there's so much love for the series or maybe just because they kind of got it pretty right the first time and they don't really know where to take it without pissing a lot of people off. They've kind of just been doing the same thing over and over. And I, I honestly, I've always been a fan more of the 2d Zeldas and I've, I'm kind of been sad to see those go because the three, the DS versions have not been at all like the old games. I think Minish Cap on the Game Boy Advance was a, a very solid 2d Zelda and that type of game has kind of gone away, which honestly, if they were to return to that now, it would probably renew my interest in Zelda way more than Skyward Sword is going to, because that game doesn't look particularly good. I could be, I've only played 10 minutes, but I could easily get into, I think I've said it before on the show, that I feel like from my 10 minutes at Skyward Sword was Ocarina of Time <laughs> with, with, with Wii controls, but I will refrain, and I'll just, <laughs> before we go into Zam, because I think we can link excellently to what he's going to say, I'd, I'd love to ask him if he thinks I'm just seeing something that isn't there with this whole well, last year Zelda thing. I think um, what you could, the way I look at it is, is that um, the I'm trying to remember when it came out now. I think um, Ocarina of Time is 11 or 12 years old now. It's 97, so isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So there's going to be a whole load of uh, talented developers in their early 20s, early to mid 20s, who have fond memories of playing that game. And now they've reached the point in their careers where they're actually, 
you know, they've gone to university and they've done the apprenticeship and now they're actually developing a game. They're going to draw on things that they played um, in their, you know, formative years um, in terms, you know, and include those within the games that they now design and develop. So I think it's only natural that you're going to see uh, inspiration from things like Ocarina of Time starting to surface now because it's it's that right sort of age range. Um, just like, um, you know, maybe five, ten years ago, you were seeing a lot of um, inspiration from uh, some of the sort of 2D JRPGs sort of coming into mainstream games. So, uh, you know, these things tend to have a cycle, um, like in music and, and books and, and films, and you tend to find those cycles work in sort of 10 to 20 years. So uh, it seems to be about right that that sort of stuff comes in. As for, I completely disagree with you on... Um, on the, on the, the the in terms of the quality of the Zelda games, I actually think the two DS ones are probably the best since Ocarina of Time, and um, I I absolutely love Spirit Tracks. I thought it was I thought it was superb, and and the dungeon designs and that were the, some of the best for a long time. Uh, I'm not. I have my hands up. I haven't played Spirit Tracks yet. So that's yeah, I, th- I think Spirit Tracks is definitely more of a return to to form in that it had a pretty interesting story. You, there wasn't so much of the kind of spending ages going from A to B. Um, you never really had to, you know, the train made things really quick and you never really spent much time doing that. There weren't, there were hardly any side, um, hardly any of the kind of pointless um, side missions. In fact, I don't think there's any side missions until the last sort of 25% of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even they are optional. So it was much more, I wouldn't say linear, but it was much more direct in getting you through the story and um, progressing through, and it had some really good boss battles, particularly the last one. So um, I will, I'll have to play Spirit Track so I can add my opinion to that. But um, hmm. I, I guess I, do, I, I think you know what you're saying about the sort of formative years of, of developers. That probably makes a ton more sense than my Zelda conspiracy idea. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say conspiracy, but I think um, you know I'm going to put a to be continued on that because I certainly think uh, of the three games I mentioned, Near is a real direct attack on Zelda, and we are going to do our next episode of Big Red Potion on Nier. Uh, I think that's the first time we've dedicated... No, we, lies. It's complete <laughs> lies. We did Heavy Rain. Come on we did, now, Sinan. We've done loads of shows. We're trying to forget that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I wasn't going to not mention Heavy Rain in a Big Red Potion episode. Um, but yes, we're doing a whole show on Nier next time, and I, I will very much bring up that point again then. But talking of Ocarina of Time, I've been wanting to make that segue for about yeah, the last beautiful. five minutes. <laughs> uh, Mr. Zantiriad, you have gone to a 3DS event here in the, the UK. The 3DS experience, yeah. Ooh. Um, <laughs> and they, they, were, they were very keen to point out that it was an experience, and that's why you were subject to 17 minutes of trivia at the uh, start of it. Um yeah, so just to explain to anyone who doesn't know, so in the UK, they, uh, Nintendo have been holding Nintendo Experience events to um, uh, invitees in both London and Manchester. Uh, initially, I think there were Club Nintendo members, and then it was opened up to um, people who'd attended Eurogamer or customers of Game and Game Station. Um, basically, um, the one I went to was in central London. Uh, it was in the East End in Shoreditch. And... Um, I went to a Sunday morning one at 10 a.m., so there wasn't that many people brave enough to go to that one. So it was quite good because it was hard <laughs> on there. And, uh, um, yeah, basically you were kind of led through a number of interactive experiences, I think they call it, um, including some um, live-action role-playing by 
um, uh, a fake Ken and a fake Ryu doing a, a fake fight outside a fake dojo. It was very nice. It was. I found it quite funny because it, <laughs> it was very heavily choreographed. But the two guys were pretty buff, actually. You know, they they looked the part. Um, but uh, and and that got a lot of applause. Then there was some more live action role playing with um, Jill Valentine and Chris Redman, and you got taken through this room that was full of sort of huts and stuff and zombies trying to attack you. But, but no foam weapons and no no people smacking yeah. each other on arms yeah. and going hit hit hit. Yes, there was that. Yeah, slapping on the shoulder. Was. Yeah. Yeah, all uh, that. And uh, there was a guy with a foam chainsaw and the old sack on his head. And uh, nice. I was saying to Sinan uh, before the show that I really hate all that kind of stuff. And uh, <laughs> I had a face like thunder, and they stayed well clear of me. Um, uh, and then, I've been, I've been to, just on a side note, I've been to two two live action role play events dragged by a friend I should really highlight. Sure. Um, Oh, yeah, you know, I, I was waiting for years. That was one of Destiny to play live action role play. And uh, one was. Um, Star Wars, and yes. another one was medieval, and oh, just you know, I, I, whatever. If you like live action role play, so be it. I, far be it from me to rain on your parade, but there is nothing more surreal than being in a gym with twenty grown men and someone, you know, going hiding behind like mats and jumping up and going hit, 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 <laughs> and then going, <laughs> and then go back down. It's just, you know, you haven't really experienced life until you've experienced an hour of live-action role-play. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's kind of like that. Well, anyway, I had 17 minutes of that, and then and, a, and then a talk by Jonathan Ross on a big TV screen, which didn't work, and so the, one of the girls had to pretend to be him. Um, and then we got led into, like, a massive room uh, with about... Uh, I counted, I think it was between 100 and 123 DSs in there. It was really dark. Um, and wow. uh, there were a lot of games. I'll run through the ones I played in a minute, but... There, because there was only 20 guests for that session, there were actually more booth babes than there were guests, so they were looking pretty bored and they were desperate to talk to you every time you played on something because there was you know, so few people at that, that early morning event. Um, and then you got taken into another room where it was all light, and that's where you could try out things like the 3D camera and the, um, uh, artificial, the um, augmented reality stuff. Um, I'll just quickly run through the games I tried, and then and then I'll just mention a few of them. So um, I played, and I had 45 minutes, so I had a good go on a lot of these. So Pilot Wings, um, Super Street Fighter 4 3D, Pro Evolution Soccer, uh, Ridge Racer, uh, Super Monkey Ball, Ashfelt, um, Resident Evil, Mercenaries, uh, what else did I try? Uh, Dead or Alive Dimensions, Driver. Uh, I watched an Animal Crossing and a Mario Kart video. Oh, I played Kid, Kid Icarus and Steel Diver. And I played Ocarina of Time in 3D. I was just trying to work out listening to that. How many of those are new IPs? Uh... Not many. Steel, di- Steel Diver is. Um, right. Pilot Wings Resort... Almost- Kind of. You could almost, oh yeah, yeah. You could almost argue Kid Icarus has been the way so long. It's like. A well, I've never played Kid Icarus, and this was um, Kid Icarus was more like um, um, Panzer Dragoon. I don't know if the original Kid Icarus was like that, but no, uh, the original Kid Icarus was a bad game. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. Kid, Kid, this Kid Icarus is basically a combination of Panzer. You have like Panzer Dragoon, um, Space Harrier type um, oh, bits. Oh, cool. Ooh, and then you Harrier. and then yeah. you land, and then you kind of land, and you run around, and it's kind of more sort of, you know, uh, traditional sort of you know, bayonetta style combos and and uh, on the ground combat, uh, and then you take off and you fly again. It sounds like the best thing ever. 
Like yeah, I just joking. say, <laughs> you mentioned three amazing things in a really quick sentence. <laughs> I thought it was okay. It was not really my sort of thing. Um, uh, I found the because basically you just hold down, shoot, and steer. You know, it's mm. it, it, it just it's just like Panzer Dragoon. So, um, I mean, I I played that for about five minutes, and obviously, um, I don't know how much of it was playable. Um, but uh, at that point, I reached an end of a level, and I just said to the girl, "Here you go. I've had enough of that one." But uh, it, it did look. It, I mean, it did. It did look reasonably good. I, I wouldn't mind spending a bit of time on it, but I don't think it's top of my purchase list anyway. So, what really stood out to you as being uh, well, excellent? N- all well, I can't. None of the games in particular, and I don't mean that in a bad way, because the thing that blew my mind was the um, augmented reality thing. Now, I, I've seen augmented reality stuff before, and you, you can get it on your iPhone and your and mm-hmm. your Android and stuff, and they're fine, and, and it's kind of similar. But the fact that it's in 3D and you can move the DS around the object and actually look around the side and the back of the object, it just blew my mind. And you you have to actually see it to appreciate just how um, incredible that technology is. I mean, it, it was stunning. I mean, the, the, the actual thing you get with the 3DS, the little game you get with it, it has this little dragon that pops out of a card on the... So you put the card on the table and this little dragon thing pops out and you get targets on it which you can shoot. So you have to kind of hold in the 3DS, move around the card, and you can literally see around the back and the sides of the of the of the dragon. But because of the 3D on the on the 3DS, it actually looks like it's a hologram in your hand. I just <laughs> now this. I mean, this is just like a free tech demo that they're giving away with it. But you, if if that technology is adapted into a, a full blown game, then uh, it's like nothing that's ever been done before. And um, uh, the potential to do some really interesting and unique things with the 3DS was completely obvious. As soon as I saw that, I thought, "This is, you know, this is the the single most <laughs> brilliant thing that this thing can do." You know, it. Uh, yeah, I it, and I spoke to quite a few other people, and they all said the same thing that they there wasn't they were expecting that to be a bit of a gimmick, and then when they tried it, it just blew their mind just how effective it was. This is the thing that convinces me about about the 3DS is it's generally across the board very very strong reactions. Like I, I very rarely hear anyone who's tried it and goes eh, whatever. Like it it just seems to impress, and that, so that does seem to just, you know dispel my cynicism when you're using words like hologrammatic, and I sort of think yeah it's not hologrammatic, you know. But everyone's saying that, so I'm. You know, I, mean, I don't think I've been this excited about a console in in, in a while, actually. I was, yeah. Somebody was asking me about it. Um, I've had a few people ask on Twitter as well. The ones that you know, people haven't actually seen it, and that's, I think that's why they're Nintendo are doing these these events because once you see it, you you just totally get it. But if you've if you're a cynic about 3D, which I am, I mean, I don't I've, I've watched 3D movies and I don't really I don't really rate it I don't, as a technology. I don't think it does. It doesn't think it really improves it or offers much. Um, but now I've seen it on the 3DS in a way, it does it. It is different. It is not, it's really hard to describe because it's not something your eyes have ever seen before. So it's not like when you go to the movies and you get sticks poked in your eye or, you know, like Jaws 3D years ago, you know, with a syringe squirted in your face. They don't, it can't do those cheap tricks because the screen is too small. Um, but what it does is, best um, way to describe it really, is is when you're playing a game that's in a 3G, 3D engine, you know, we talked about, you know, say 3D Zelda as opposed to 2D Zelda. What it does is it emphasizes the 3D a lot more. So when you're 
when you're looking at it, it it adds a kind of layer of a texture to the 3D. So it's not like like when you're at the cinema and it feels like it's popping out the screen. It just seems to have a lot more depth and substance to it. And it's weird to describe. And that slider thing on the on the side has much more impact than than I first thought it would. And again, it doesn't do what you think it would do. I mean, when you when I've read you know previews and stuff, people have seen it played with it at E3. They said it kind of made the 3D more or less dramatic. But it, that's not really what it does. It because the level of 3D doesn't really change. It just makes it more intense. Which is I know it's a, a weird way of describing it. But until you've tried it and you've seen it, 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 it it's really hard to to imagine. But yeah, it, your holo, I think hologrammatic is probably the best description I've heard so far uh, in the way that it works. And some games it worked really well on, and some games it didn't. So um, I thought it worked okay on Ocarina of Time. They've changed some of the art. That was the thing that struck me when I played that. So it was the usual... Um, is it Akuri a, a Village? I can't remember the name of the village now. Kokariki. Kokariki Village, yeah. Kokariki. So it, it was, you could choose that, or you could choose the forest. You could choose two. It's like a demo. And I chose that, and what they've done is that um, Link looks a little bit different, but some of the other characters that obviously looked pretty sort of blocky back on the N64, they've completely redone them, and they look a little bit sort of um, uh, Wind Waker-ish. I thought they'd probably go the Wind Waker-ish angle. That makes much yeah. more sense. They've, yeah, they've got like long, wa- they've got like wavy blonde hair, and they and they're much more sort of elf-like um, and 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 round. Than uh, than they were before. They they started to look a little bit like Tingles. So I was getting a bit worried. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the the game that impressed probably the two games that impressed most were probably Pilot Wings Resort and um, Resident Evil. In terms of making really good and maybe Pro Evolution Soccer as well, they, of making really good use of the three D and they exploited it with through depth of field, particularly Pilot Wings. Um, How does the because Resident Evil is the mercenaries game, which is the, yeah. the mercenaries. Thing from Resident Evil Four and Five. How are the controls on the on the 3DS for that? Yeah, they're good um, because it's got an analog stick. It's you basically just move. You know, the, the tank controls are on the analog stick, and um, then you, I try to remember now. Yeah, you use the stylus, I think. To, no, you just pull the right trigger to shoot. Yeah, so, 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 so it's, 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 yeah. That's interesting. And you could shoot when you were moving, which is a I think a first for Resident wow. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe what the series, <laughs> but it was it was basically the market. Uh, the bit I played was the um, marketplace in Resident Evil Five, um, and, it, the, and it looked uh, LARPing markets guy. Yeah, and it looked <laughs> just exactly the same as the marketplace in Resident Evil Five. It looked, you know, the graphics were on a par. Um, yeah, that's just it, that that's you know that actually blows my mind, and I want to. I'm going to go to Joe in a second on this. You know. It's Resident Evil Four on a on a handheld, and I know that you know we've essentially had PS2 graphics on thingy, but this is with the with the NGP being announced and all the games they've just announced. That I just I'm amazed at the games that they're now producing on handhelds. I know that's a very old man thing to say, and it's it's probably not a cool thing to say, but it, that's what blows my mind more than the actual 3D of the 3DS. The actual things we're going to be playing. There's Super Street Fighter Four on a what the hell? <laughs> Just like I don't know. Anyway, I wanted to bring in you, Joe, because you mentioned pre-show that um, you know we were talking about the 3DS and, and the whole announcement of the of the NGP. It, it might be interesting to kind of contrast and compare and and put some thoughts on that. Uh, so, I guess I really should ask, what what are your thoughts on, on what we've heard about the NGP and and in relation to the 3DS? Yeah, that's the thing. Now I'm going to come off sounding like a little man too. So everyone, get ready for that. Hunker down. Um, I I think it's weird because like I'm sure 
like like myself, you guys kind of grew up with the handheld gaming being kind of a different beast altogether. Like with the original Game Boy was very much, I mean, you could barely play a, a decent version of Pac-Man on that thing, but it was great because it was a, a gaming on the go. I could do whatever I want when I'm in the car. It's great. And I would throw up because I always get car sick when I play Game Boy in the car. And then like the Game Boy Advance was Super Nintendo too. So that was awesome too. Um, you know, the portable gaming in the last couple of years, at least the Nintendo portable gaming and to some extent the Sega stuff, that was kind of like an extension of old school gaming that I kind of enjoyed. Um, I loved the fact that the Game Boy Advance became a Super Nintendo 2 and all the games that came out on that and stuff. And, and even the DS has had a lot of great 2D stuff, a lot of great side scrollers, a lot of great stuff like that. And I think, you know, I know I'm in the minority and I know we've talked about this on a previous show, but I'm not interested in taking my home console games on the go i'm not interested in playing an uncharted game on a portable handheld because i'm probably just going to be on the couch playing it anyway because i'm not going to bring a giant nbgp on the bus i think it's a problem that both sony and somewhat to an extent now nintendo with all their games because as sam said stuff is console quality stuff you're playing there this is pilot wings game which the last one of those was on the n64 and i'm sure this one plays fairly similar to that I think we're losing kind of the the old school styles that the handhelds have been kept, keeping alive over the last couple of years. And I'm afraid that, A, price-wise, these games are going to be too damn expensive to make and buy. And B, they're just going to be more of what you have at home. It's To me, there's going to be way less of an incentive to get interested and excited in these things. To me, there's not as much of a draw because I know for a fact, like the NGP especially, I don't want to play... Uh, Uncharted on the go. I don't want to play a Ratchet and Clank on the go. I want to play something unique. I want to play something like Patapon. Um, the 3DS, the same thing. I don't really want to play a 3D Mario on the go. I'd rather just play something you know, similar, simpler, something I could play for 10 minutes and then stop. Um, as as exciting as the new technology is, and as impressed I am by both companies kind of flexing their portable muscles with their new devices, I'm also kind of um, less than excited about the way the industry is moving in that way. Um, and for those people who haven't really seen it, the NGP is basically going to be a portable PS3. Uh, it's pretty much all you need to know about it. It has, they were able to get Metal Gear Solid 4 running on it, which is saying more than I could ever say with sex. Um, so I want to know, you know, what you guys kind of think about the way that in the next year, handheld gaming is going to change. And especially the way it is now with the iPhone kind of being the current king in everyone's minds. I'm glad you mentioned the iPhone because I would I would heavily suggest that the iPhone is the is the Joker in the pack which is going to become what you want uh, more and more. Uh, you know I I feel like the DS filled the gap you're talking about uh, or certainly kept running the the whole more short burst handheld gaming sure. uh, things like Professor Layton, uh, New Super Mario Brothers, a whole host of you know Animal Crossing. These games are are much more. Uh, I don't know. You just feel like you can. Re- it wouldn't work on as well on the on the on the home consoles. Right. It, they're, they're suited more to the handheld consoles, um, and I feel like you know that that's what the iPhone is doing now and will continue to do, and that's why uh, I, th- I I don't know whether I think Sony are ill-advised with the NGP. Um, I'm not gonna you know, stick my foot in my mouth and say that it's a bad idea because I really don't know what's going to happen next. But, um, you know, maybe it's maybe, you know, maybe there's an argument that it's a good idea because I feel like iPhone just dominates the area that it's in now. Uh, I don't I, I would suspect that, uh, 
you know, Sony are trying to outmuscle um, a certain audience uh, away from Nintendo, or, or you know, really dominate that kind of enthusiastic audience on the handheld, which is on the handheld, uh, which is maybe a risky strategy. I don't know. I think that Chris Grant said it best in the Joystick podcast a couple of weeks ago. He said that right now for six ninety nine you can get Dead Space on your iPhone, and it's basically the same kind of experience you would be able to get on an Xbox. If that exact game had been released on the PSP, it would have been forty bucks. And because the market is so different now, I don't see how these Nintendo, to some extent, because they're going to offer some smaller focused experiences still on the 3DS, but Sony especially, I don't see how they can step in now with this new super device and expect to charge what they're going to charge for those games. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting the reaction to um, the NGP or whatever it's going to be called um, uh, on Twitter and also on various sort of forums that I frequent. Um, it was universally over-enthusiastic, I would say. <laughs> um, and people were saying, oh, wow, you know, it's it's like a PS3 in your, in your pocket and you can take it anywhere. And I thought to myself, well, the, PlayStation, the, the PSP was a PS2 you could take everywhere with you. And the problem with the PSP is it ended up just having ports of PS2 games put on it, right. which didn't fit the console. Because, um, like you said, a home console designed game does not work well on a, a mobile device. To someone who who plays on my, you know, um, DS and and actually my my Game Boy Micro is probably my favourite and and um, PSP a lot um, because of the commuting I do. I can tell you that most of the games that are kind of just a portable rehash, like the God of Wars and all that, are not ideal. You know, they're not they're not ideal. They don't suit it. They're, they're the wrong type of game and. And, and as you rightly said, the games that work are the things like Professor Layton's and the Animal Crossings and the uh, the games that you can play in, in short bursts. They may last a long time, but you can play in short bursts. And that, that's one of the things I thought Spirit Tracks did really well, in that they, they re-engineered the Zelda experience so that it could be played in bite-sized chunks really easily. Um, and that's... Well, well to, play, to play Devil's Advocate, then, um, well, Sony will, might argue that uh, games like, for example... God of War on PSP, the two God of War games were actually very highly reviewed. All the Grand Theft Auto games uh, didn't work because you didn't have the two analog sticks, and you, you, know, you didn't have the touchscreen or whatever. So, is there an argument maybe that it's not that the idea of PS2 or PS3 games on a handheld is inherently flawed? It's just that the PSP wasn't built right for such, you know, to do such things. And whereas the NGP with Hopefully, you know, more versatility uh, might be able to do a better job. But but then um, it doesn't fit the strategy because uh, Sony are pushing Move on the PS3, but you're not going to be able to do any of the Move games on the PSP. So it's they they they're in the same problem in that they can't fully emulate the home console experience on a mobile device. And um, you know, as Impressive as the technology is in the in the in the NGP, it's it's a typical Sony answer to the problem. Mm. Uh, they are an engineering company, so if they are in second place, they just engineer something even bigger, even brasher. They've been doing the same in televisions. They they've been well behind the game in terms of uh, LCD and plasmas for f- at least six years now. They've been playing catch up, and um, they just keep throwing things at them in the hope that that will give them the edge. And they never really address what the fundamental problem with the device is. 
And um, I just feel that the what you'll get is you'll get very big. I think with the the, the PSP two, you'll get very big early sales. You get a lot of lot of um, PS three enthusiasts and um, fanboys will go out and buy it. They'll buy one or two games which they've enjoyed on their PS threes that they can play on their PSP, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they'll again it will sit there collecting dust because, as you said, those sort of games are best experienced at home, and if they're at home, they might as well play it on the PS three anyway. Um, and until the game design fundamentally changes, um, I don't see that being any different. I mean, the only thing I could possibly say that that might, you know, might make a difference is if Sony can back their their mini scheme. And um, but you know that the quality of the stuff that's been released on me so far has been very patchy. I mean, it's yeah. been poor, poor to be honest. And it, and um, it's really relied on good iPhone games being ported to it to keep it going. And I think both Nintendo and Sony need to get that kind of micro game um, ecology set up on their platforms for them to be a success. Because people will, as you quite rightly said. They'll look at their iPhone and there's a game they can play for three quid, and they'll look at uh, the box on the shelf in in their video game store. It's thirty four, thirty five pounds or forty. I don't know how much it can be in the US. Fifty dollars for a for a cartridge. It's it's you know that that just doesn't work. I saw um Reggie was complaining about it the other day, um, but well I Reggie mean, would. Well, exactly, <laughs> but he's coming at it from the wrong angle. He's saying that. Um, he's, he's blaming the the iPhone and the Android marketplace for devaluing games. Well, um, you need to do something about it. Then you know you know, they need to change their strategy. But on a, on a on a positive note, as I said, the the key thing for me with the 3DS is that I think the technologies that they have put into that device genuinely is a game changer in terms of what it can do. It can do things that the iPhone and the NGP or whatever it is cannot do. And that only has to be a good thing in terms of innovative game design in the future. But, but just, that, that, that's also you go, Joe. I just was going to say, just to play devil's advocate real quick. Do you think that, like the Wii, it's going to kind of be this flash in the pan success where it's a monster, monster, monster hit at first? You can't get one; it's amazing, and a year or two later, the bottom just falls through, and it becomes this thing that Nintendo's not really supporting as well as they should. Things don't really work as well as they should, and the public's interest has kind of been lost in it. I think it would depend on um, whether they can do deals to carry other 3D content onto the device to make it a compelling reason for people to own it. I saw um, in the UK we have a, a 3D TV channel, Sky 3D, uh, and they wish they had some 3DSs actually set up showing Sky 3D on the 3DS itself, and it was very impressive. Now, they need to do those sort of deals in every country. The problem is that Nintendo have a really poor record of doing deals with, um, you know, decent deals with media companies for long periods of time. Because then the 3DS could become a must-have device for a lot of people. Um, but as you said, it could also just become another sort of piece of shovelware. But <clears throat> um, the jury's out. For me, the, the killer thing is going to be the price of the game. So I think that will be the thing that will put it most at risk. And, and um, like I said, they need to get their their micro-game ecology up and running and quickly. Right. What I would say regards the, regards the NGP is something you actually alluded to, Zan, all the way back in, uh, I think, episode four of this show when we had a, our, our um, Sony discussion, or maybe in the handheld show, which was a few shows later. But you you basically said that we, we tend to forget that the PSP wasn't a failure. Um, you know, yeah. it did sell 
have 60 million whatever consoles now worldwide and I think that that's why it's premature and that's why I'm backing away from writing off the PSD NGP because I think as much as people have been uh, underwhelmed by the PSP and what it has done, I still think you're going to see most of those people who bought a PSP buy an NGP. And at least if they, if some of the early games are strong, there is the chance you know that they'll perpetuate uh, sales over time. As long as it can sort out piracy issues and all this other junk, there are all the things that hindered the PSP. I think it's premature to say Sony are out of this or or anything. You know, I feel like that, that's the great thing about the handheld market is you have three really strong actually. Mm. people in there, in the iPhone, the DS and, and the PSP. Look, even the PSP as the weakest of three is still really quite well, strong as a, a force. It's, it's been shown in the home console market that it's it's entirely possible to sell all three devices to the same person. You know, I mean yeah. the number of people who have all three consoles now is is considerable. I, I mean I don't know how many it is, but it's it's a good percentage of the a good percentage have got at least two. I mean that's that's uh, and that was a prediction made way back when the Wii first came out that the Wii would be the kind of second console and you know most people would have a 360 and a Wii or a PS3 and a Wii and I think that's largely true. Most people do have have uh, have have two now. Okay, mm. some people may have sold them, but um, and and a lot of people have a DS and a PSP. You know, I don't think it is an either or, but uh, and and probably have an iPhone as well. You know, um, ultimately these things stick around for a long time. I mean, the new PSP and the, the 3DS will, will probably have five, maybe even longer, um, uh, five, you know, maybe even longer years in, in the shop window. And, um, you, you know, you won't be able to dismiss it up front. But my my concern with anything that Sony produce is that they always produce things that have got fantastic hardware and fantastic technology, but appalling software and support. And my big worry with that... Um, the NGP actually, it's not so much a yeah. My big worry is that again, they make the same mistakes they made with the PSP, where they don't give dev kits to people, or they charge whatever it was, something stupid like twenty thousand pounds for a dev kit, um, and then they wonder why that you know the only people who can produce games for it are the ones that are porting PS2 games. Um, they need to ensure that that they they get out there early and they get people developing you know games of all different prices and categories for it as soon as possible. Um, and that should be fairly easy because it's using the same sort of technology that's in Android and, and iPhone devices. One thing I just want to throw in there real quick is that uh, the uh, NPD released their 2010 analysis a couple of days ago. And I think it's really interesting because they said uh, just to kind of get a snapshot of what the handheld gaming market right now is like, the, the DS um, only had 2 million sellers last year with the two Pokemon games that came out in the U.S. Um, There's all U.S. stuff, by the way. But, I mean, not to say that it was the strongest year ever for the DS, because a lot of developers have kind of moved on at this point, and Nintendo themselves aren't releasing all that much, but for the most popular console of all time to only have 2 million sellers in a year is saying quite a bit about what other people are doing on the go with their iPhones and their other devices. And the PSP, in a year that had um, a Kingdom Hearts game, a Final Fantasy fighting game, I believe that came out last year, uh, and a Metal Gear game, um, the top-selling game was Kingdom Hearts at 300,000 units. Uh, number two was Metal Gear with under two hundred thousand units for a Metal that Gear game. That is really shocking. A Metal Gear sequel. Yeah, I mean it's well. Also, you consider there's what sixty million PSPs out there. So two hundred thousand yeah. out of sixty million. That's that's a really low return rate. 
And don't and, get and me in wrong. fairness to the to the Nintendo numbers, um, we've just had the news that come, I think, last month or this year, whatever, that, you know, whilst maybe it wasn't in 2010, but Dragon Quest and Professor Layton have both gone over the, the million mark as well. Right. So there's a few more there. Yeah, looking at the U.S. only, Professor Layton isn't as popular oh, I see, right. as he is. Other, and I, I feel sorry for Professor Layton because he's a fantastic sir and a great game, but in the U.S. they just kind of ignore him. He wasn't even in the top ten, actually, which kind of depressed me. But You guys have, like, I, no taste. Believe me, I know. Toy Story 3 is in the top ten, but Professor Layton wasn't, which kind of pissed me off. But, yeah, but that's because, you know, that's why they didn't release... You've, that, you've been punished. You don't have the, the, the movie. I don't have the movie. I'm dying to watch the movie. Yeah, the movie's great in a bizarre suck. way. <laughs> you guys suck. There's just this great moment in the movie, I have to say, it, uh, where... Because the movies are... It's not as good as the games, but there, there is this great moment where uh, Professor Layton and uh, Luke are being chased by wolves, and Professor Layton starts running off, and Luke goes, why do we have to run? And Professor Layton goes, now Luke, even a gentleman needs to exercise. Yeah. <laughs> best, best line. <laughs> Luke, I love, I love Professor Layton. Anyway, um, yeah, just to, real, I mean, it's just to see, I mean, how many iPhone million sellers do we read about on a daily basis? I know it's yeah, different because they cost a dollar, but when you can get that many people to pick up their phone and buy the same game on a daily basis, it, it kind of puts things in perspective and I, I I know it's Nintendo I know it's got DS in the title and I know it's going to sell a billion copies when it comes out in March but I'm I don't think that the 3DS will ever reach the level that the DS hit even if the price drops pretty significantly pretty soon which I don't think they'll do because they're Nintendo I think that in the US at least they uh, as of this week they just added this, the nation's single largest largest cell phone provider to the iPhone network so now way more people than ever before have access to iPhones. So Interesting. Yeah, I mean, people have been waiting years and years and years for this, and it finally yeah. happened this week. So I, I mean, I've seen a lot of kids going around with old iPhones. They're, that's their toy. It's, I mean, I see a lot of DSs out there. I see some PSPs. I live in New York, obviously, so I see a lot of people playing games yeah. on buses and trains. But um, really, increasingly so, I've seen a lot of people playing with iPhones, little kids I, playing with iPhones, like I older agree. iPhones. Yeah, I, and, I mean, I, I see it on the train. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, in, in, in any any given train carriage on my daily commute, uh, I would say maybe sixty to seventy percent of the people on it are playing games on their iPhones. Yeah, uh, penetration in the UK is huge because obviously you can get the iPhone on every single cellular in the network. Um, oh, okay. Um, and, 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 I know and, we said it before, but I oh, say no, you guys on. Uh, yeah, the, the, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed you. I apologise. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. Is that, that you know that um, uh, once those devices are out there and in people's hands, then then they. Start, I mean, I remember a few years ago. I think I made this observation previously that I used to see loads of people playing PSPs on the train. Uh, I very rarely saw DSs, um, but then over the last couple of years, I've seen the PSPs disappear and I've seen iPhones appear, but I still see roughly the same number of people playing DSs. So yeah. there is something there. Yeah. Um, but I've forgotten what the other point was. <laughs> I, I feel like, unless Sam can remember what he's going to say, no. <laughs> then we should close, and I apologise for... Really it was really <laughs> It was going to be like the, the, the podcast closing point that would just, have, you know, people be at home going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's true, and we've yeah we've lost it. Just missed it, guys. Just missed it. Maybe next time. Yeah, unless he can 
He's got five minutes whilst I close out the show. <laughs> so um, so yeah. Otherwise, I will extend my uh, very humble thanks to Mr. Zantiriad and Mr. Joseph Delia for joining me today. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, before we go, um, I'm going to go to Zan first because you have been like the most busy person. <laughs> it's, I, I can't seem, and I say this without it sounding the bad way that I almost made it sound, I can't listen to a podcast with you not on it. <laughs> I haven't done You're everywhere. Uh, yeah, I haven't done that many, but I guess. <laughs> um, okay, well, it, 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 you've done a lot of game posts. Oh, yes, of course. Oh, uh, yeah. What I'm forgetting, of course, is that I only, yeah, I only record one time with Game Burst, but then that's two shows. Right. So it makes it look like I'm on a lot more than I really am. Um, but so uh, yeah, I've been on a yeah, I've done. Uh, we've had two of the, uh, the Game Burst replay shows. So uh, actually, the next one's out this Thursday. Um, on a fantastic game. Um, it was Edge, yeah, and that was a good one to record actually. Um, and uh, yeah, there'll be the voting for the the next games, which I uh, can't really reveal here. But um, uh, I'll give you—I I shall give you a hint. One of them was probably the biggest game of two years ago, and I really hope it doesn't win because I don't think I want to play it again. <laughs> okay, I think I know what that game is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, probably we'll leave it before you. you have to reveal. Uh, so cool, that is at GameBest.co.uk and of course you're still doing your, your stuff from Ninja Fat Pigeons and um, that's NinjaFatPigeons.co.uk and this uh, thing for game uh, informal was it? Uh, Gamer's Voice. I, I, um, I'm on the committee for Gamer's Voice which is the... Oh, right, okay, sorry. I, you... I, I thought you, I'm the game station thing. I thought you oh yeah, that was the this. interview I did and I was wearing my Gamer's Voice t-shirt and I was trying to get it in. Ah, <laughs> together. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, involved with Gamers Voice, which is a UK a, a consumer group and um, parliamentary lobby group on behalf Been of. Been very busy recently. Yeah. So yeah, we had I didn't couldn't attend it, but uh, we had a Parliament Day where we um, got members of Parliament to play games and discuss with them the, uh, the usual stuff about stereotypes and uh, parental controls and and trying to portray the fact that not all games are um, murder simulators. Um, and that went that went down very well, um, and uh, I think they were very impressed with it, and it's something they wanna they would like us to do more of. And um, the most recent thing is that we've um, submitted a complaint to the Office of Fair Trading uh, regarding Activision's um, Call of Duty Black Ops on the PS3, um, because um, from what I what I understand, it's virtually unplayable online. Um, so. Um, We've asked the Office of Fair Training to investigate as to whether that product should even be sold, um, with a description on the back saying it's a multiplayer game. That's got a lot of coverage um, yes. across across the interwebs, and uh, it certainly seems to be you know making waves. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. But it, you know, well, it's great to see that you know it's very it's been going for a while. This the, the Games Voice uh, group, but it seems like in recent months you've re- you know it's really gathered the momentum and. It's, things coming together which is excellent to see yeah we've got lots of volunteers now um, especially since the parliament day um, so we're hoping to do a, lo- a lot more this year uh, particularly around things like parental controls and um, kind of consumer rights so I, I wrote a, a guide um, for in terms of um, 
your consumer rights in the UK as to whether you can take a game back and get a refund, which you can, provided you buy it from a bricks and mortar shop. Um, um, where, where can people find that? Uh, that's at uh, gamers, uh, www.gamersvoice.org.uk. Um, and yeah, the, the the weird thing is that you have much more rights from a bricks and mortar store than you would do from anywhere else. So. Um, if you want to be safe when you buy stuff, that's the place to do it because you're entitled to take things back if they if they don't work as described um, and get a full refund. Whereas uh, if you buy things online, it's a bit trickier. And if you buy things from Steam or Xbox Live, you have absolutely no rights whatsoever. Do a whole show about the resurgence of the uh, the high street store and what like what it's trying in this year, but I won't because we have to close the show. But uh, yes, Games Voice. Uh, Please check that out and everything else I was doing. And Joe, you more quiet these days, but I'm sure that there's something rather that we can uh, push you to push other people towards. Um, just my lovely fiance Ashley, because I just got engaged last week. Um, oh well, congratulations! I you were going to, I <laughs> Thank you. Going to announce that. Yes, Thank that, you. Yeah, I, uh, it should, the news should be out to all the friends and family by the time this goes up. So yes, I in fact got engaged, and thank you guys. Uh, thank you. Wonderful news. Uh, so yeah, and um, I don't really know how to, to really follow up from that. <laughs> <Top> <laughs> as a bit of a show stealer. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, as a married man and as someone who's given a best man speech, the biggest, the the, uh, the best piece of advice I can give you is to always use a plate. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the secret to uh, a happily married life. I'm married for. Five years, alright, it's not that long, but uh, we've been together for about eight now, and uh, yeah, that's definitely the secret to success. I'm gonna write that down on my hand so I never leave home without that information. Always use a plate. Women will go, yeah, give you daggers or go ape shit if you try to eat anything without a plate. Even though, like I said, I can suck it at the same time and it won't spill any crumbs, it doesn't work. This is just surreal. This isn't how I expected the show to end. Brilliant. I, I don't really know what to say. Oh, I do know what to say. I do know what to say. It's not nearly as exciting as Joe's news, but um, I feel like I am obligated to say it is because our friend Indian Sato will probably hate me if I downplay it. But we have moved. Our, we have moved. The move from uh, TGR to Gamer Node will have been completed by the time the show goes up. And we and and to commemorate it, oh, mainly because you know I'm going to be honest. I'll be frank about it. Um, I really just wanted to move the site across uh, to Game Node without really changing anything, and then uh, it's just this thing which happens when you move, you're, you're sorting out stuff. You look at it and I'm oh, like, no, "This isn't right. I'll, this isn't right. I'll screw. It. I'm just starting again." So I just got rid, of, got rid of the theme and put a whole new look in, and now we have a whole new look to the website. It's, and I actually think it's a lot better. It's a lot, it's a lot cleaner and a lot crisper. It's not as red. As it no. was before, no. um, unfortunately. But there's more potion white. than before. There is more potion in there. And so you've had a look now. Yes, I did. I love it, and I thank you for doing the work because it is a wonderful new site. Oh, thank you. Um, it's not. It, it, yeah. So at the time of recording, it's, it's not going to be there. But hopefully, by the time you're listening, which will be, I think, February 15th, fish, um, it will be there. If you go to bigredpotion.com, uh, anyone who has links to us, if you could update them, that would be really kind because there's not going to be anything there anymore uh, at thegamereviews.com um, and yeah, uh, I think that pretty much is it, except to say you can find us at BigRedPotion.com, you can also find us on Twitter twitter.com slash BigRedPotion you can find us on Facebook if you search for BigRedPotion and we are on iTunes um, 
I'm hoping that that's the other thing, you know, because we, we are switching over to game mode. The feeds will change. I'm hoping that it will all happen quietly behind the scenes without anyone noticing. But, uh, and this is the whole thing, like, how do you tell people before? You know, it, will, it will have happened. If you're, if you're listening, then you're, you're subscribed. If, you, if you're not subscribed, then you're not listening. How do I, I don't know. So I, I'll try to get the word out there however I can. I'll put it on Twitter and Facebook that it's happened and hopefully... <laughs> we, we, we've been away for a while, so you might not really notice if we, we don't. <laughs> if you're hearing show. us now, we did good, everybody. Good job. Yes. And thumbs up all around. Tell your friends. Tell that's what friends. I say. Tell your friends if they're not listening. Um, so, thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye.